0: I remember the very first time I saw HDTV, and it was a National Geographic special on migratory birds, just kind of like that video that you just saw, and I've never seen a screen like so clear and so crisp, and I, I do. I remember it's about 11 years ago, and I remember the very first time I saw HDTV. Do you have, do you have HDTV? You have it. Anybody still have black and white? Um, and what was interesting about the birds on that was I, I remember asking the question, why do they fly in a V? Why do they fly in a formation? And so you do just a little bit of research on that. And of course, nobody really knows. You can't ask the duck. But you begin to realize that it's, it's got something to do with, like, wind resistance, and, and you see that they fly in order, and the lead, the lead duck or the lead goose or geese or whatever then drops back. And so he takes his turn at the front, and the rest of the birds begin to draft behind it. Also, aren't you glad you came to church this morning? But also, I want to tell you one more bird trivia. It's really cool. Is when one of those birds like, like veer off Two or three other, because like it gets it gets injured or it's it's not healthy, two or three other birds also veer off, circle that bird, and pull it right back into the V formation. Now there's all kinds of analogies and examples of that for a series on alignment. And you can certainly understand in the church how we're to come and help each other. There's leaders. Uh, you get to follow other leaders. And if you're sick or injured, people come around you and kind of pull you back into the flock. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? So this is a message series on alignment. And I love the birds in that V formation. In fact, this is another piece of trivia. You've noticed that even our our F-15 and our F-18 jets fly in a V formation, don't you? You've seen that. Where do they get that from? I guess the ducks. I guess. But it's about wind resistance. Um, I think most of us understand the value of alignment. I think many of you in this room, you've worked for companies or you've worked for a department where the department or the company has been misaligned. How many of you have worked for a company where there's been great misalignment? How many of you have worked in a department where there's been alignment? And how much more fun that is. I think all of us understand this with family, When uh, maybe you grew up in a family and there was misalignment, maybe your mom and dad didn't get along well, maybe the grandparents didn't get along well, you know, every family has got the crazy uncle or the crazy aunt, and if you don't know who that is, that means it's you, and and so you're the crazy uncle or you're the crazy aunt, and and, and they show up at the family reunion, and it's 10 o'clock in the morning, they've already had a six-pack, and they show up drunk right? And there's incredible family misalignment and tension going on at the family reunion. However, you observe this this family where they're they're in alignment. You you get a mom and a dad in alignment on values. You get a mom and a dad in alignment on how we're going to raise our kids and how we're going to spend money and how we're going to spend our time. You got a powerful family there. You've got strength right there uh, taking place. So this is a message series about about alignment. Now, today is about how do we love. We've done a how-to kind of every week, and healthy churches are in alignment. But today is a how we learn to love each other. Now, why is that important? Well, it's incredibly important because as a church one of the qualities and characteristics of a church would be how we love and how we help each other and how we are in alignment taking care of each other. And so today, if you're new to church or if you've been to church for a long, long time, you're going to walk away today knowing exactly what we are supposed to do as a church. What does it mean to love and to be in a church and how does that, how does that affi- affect you? So we're going to look at a church today that's going to make very little sense to you as we get started, but I promise we're going to unpack this, and you're going to go, ah, now I get it. Say that with me. Ah, now I get it. Okay. That was good, actually. That was really good. Um, so let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9 is where we start unpacking it. You don't, you don't have it yet, but we're going to start unpacking it. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says this. He says, Now, about your love for one another, we don't need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Okay, cool. In fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Now, we're gonna, I want to show you some pictures in just a minute, but we're going to look at some areas of Macedonia. So this is in Asia Minor. He says, Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, even though you know how to love Even though you've been taught to love, we want to encourage you to be able to do this even even more so. And he says this in verse 11. He says, and we want you to make it your ambition. So I want you to kind of circle that word ambition because we all have ambition, right? Everybody has some ambition. Maybe you have too much ambition. Maybe you don't have enough ambition, but everybody has ambition, you, have, you want to get a date, maybe it's an ambition to get a date, maybe an interview, maybe a job, maybe a better job, maybe to gain 30 pounds, maybe to lose 30 pounds. Everybody has ambition in life. And, and, and what's encouraging to me is you're ambitious people. And the reason that you're here is you're here because you are ambitiously trying to figure out God's will for your life. I want to encourage. I don't want to beat you up today. I want to encourage you. You're here because you have a desire to lean in. It's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful morning. And yet you're here because you ambitiously want to learn more about God and how you can do life with God. So I I think that's absolutely phenomenal that you're here today. But we understand ambition. It can be good. It can be bad, right? I mean, ISIS... Has ambition, right? The guy that jumped the White House lawn had ambition, right? I'm really surprised a Secret Service guy didn't say to himself, "I get to shoot somebody today," <laughs> but, but but it didn't happen. So okay, but but a- ambition is usually good, and it's usually well directed. And so what he's trying to say—go back to that verse if you would for just a second. What he's trying to say to us, he says, "I want you." to make it your ambition. Now, you've heard me use the word lean in before. Many of you have come and and, and you don't have a church background and you weren't raised in church and, you know, maybe 25 or 35 or 40 years, you know, you didn't have a a relationship with God. And so you've asked me, you've said, I don't know what to do. I wasn't raised in church. I, I don't really understand the Bible. Tell me what my next step is. And I always tell you to lean in. You just, you just lean in. You lean into God, God's going to lean into you. And so it's kind of the same word of lean in. It's make it your ambition. And then he defines it. He describes what your ambition should be. He says, to lead a quiet life, mind your own business. How many of you like that phrase? How many of you have told? No, no, don't answer that question. Never, never mind. And to work with your hands, he says, just as we told you. So three guys have ambition to start a church in Asia Minor, the city of Thessalonica. I'm going to show you a picture of Thessalonica. It's here on the map. It's over there in Asia Minor. So 2,000 years ago, Paul, Silas, Timothy have ambition to start a church in Thessalonica. Now, again, that doesn't mean a lot to you yet. That's a map. That's a long ways from here. Look at a modern-day picture, though, of Thessalonica. It's the second-largest city in Greece. And what's cool about this city today, as it was 2,000 years ago, it's a seaport. And it was a major Rome, two, two major Roman roads intersected here and made this a happening place. And so this is a very prominent city. It's a very prosperous city. It's a very pagan city. And inside of this city, these guys decide, inside this seaport city area, they're going to plant a church. Wow. Again, maybe this doesn't make a lot of sense to you yet. But let's think about the Port of Tampa. It's kind of like our Port of Tampa right here in our backyard. This is the number one port in the state of Florida, number 10 port port in the United States, billions of dollars of commerce come and go. Over 4 billion gallons of oil almost every day. This is a happening place. This is in our backyard. And so when we talk about a church in Thessalonica, it's like putting a church in Ybor City. It's just exactly like that. I mean, okay, you've been there, right? Um, we had to be real careful with this picture. Look at it real closely to make sure everybody was dressed okay. But this is Ebor. This is Thessalonica. Now go. Ah, I get it. Some of you didn't get it. So th- this is exactly the kind of culture and setting that the Apostle Paul is planting a church along with Timothy and along with Silas. He says, he says Let, let's, let's make it your ambition. Now, everybody in the room has ambition. Your ambition is either about you or it's about God, but everybody in the room has a focus of ambition. And he gives us three things today, three steps today, three different directions today that he makes a recommendation for. Them. All right, look at 1 Thessalonians again. He says, lead a quiet life. Yeah, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. So let's fill in that first blank if you've got a bulletin. And what does it mean to lead a quiet life? Well, it does not mean that you go home and you shut the blinds and you hunker down and you never get outside of your house. Does not mean that you never, that's that's not what it means to be a quiet life. But what he means by this is, that you have faced your mortality, and you figured out that life is not about you. Now, that's, that's a revelation that if you can have that, you then begin to realize, I'm going to lead a life where life is not about me, but life is about me then honoring the Creator here's a little verse that kind of goes along with this from Proverbs. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And he's saying, you know what? You're better off to be aligned where there's peace and there's quiet than an ambition that's out of control. The ambition out of control in the, in the long run really really won't make you very happy. Okay, so put your notes down for just a second. I want to ask you eight questions. I like tests. How many of you like tests? How many of you do not like tests? All right, well, we're going to take a test. And there's eight questions, and this is to help you to identify whether or not you are living a quiet life, okay? So don't look at anybody else's paper. Just look straight ahead. Don't blink. Don't breathe. Don't give yourself away, okay? All right, here we go. Number one. do you draw draw attention to yourself in how you dress? Now, we all need to dress. We all need to buy clothes. We need to buy, I don't care that you buy good clothes. I like nice clothes. The point of this is, is are you dressing to draw attention to yourself on a regular basis? Number two, do you start a conversation to show how smart you are? Some of you are 0 for 2. Number three, Do you drive a certain car so people will notice? I'm all, cars are great. I hope to have a nice car sometime. I'm not against this. The point is, do you do this to be noticed? Because it's really a sign of your insecurity. So do you drive a nice car to be noticed is the key. Number three, number four. Do you drop names to draw attention to yourself? You're all the time talking about, Hey, I know so and so, and I know so and so, and hey, I was so, saw so and so, and you really don't know them. You saw them at a Bucks game, and they were a hundred feet away. But anyway, you drop you drop their name, right? Sorry. Number five. Do you bring the spotlight back to you? We've all had conversations with people, and you're talking about this, and somehow the conversation gets pulled all the way over here, and you're going. Now, how did that happen? Well, she just brought the conversation all back around. He just, and, and you began to notice that when you listen to people's conversations. Number six, do you visit exotic places so you can tell your friends? Now, I'm all for exotic places. I think you should go to a lot of them. That's not the point. The point is, do you do it so that you can tell people that you really don't like where you've been? Okay? Number 7. Do you talk about how much money you make? Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever talk about how much money you make? It's to draw attention to yourself. Number 8. Do you draw attention to past do you yeah, do you draw attention to past accomplishments? Again, we've heard people who've talked about, you know, 40 years ago I scored the winning touchdown, you know, in in grade school or whatever. You know, who cares? You know, your grandmother tells that story. Who cares? So he, he's saying to us, he's saying, make it your ambition, and and, and lead a quiet life. And we're, we're gonna we're gonna unpack that just a little bit more in just a minute. Number two, he says to, he says to, mind your own business. See, make it your ambition, and, and mind your own business. Here's a, a verse that goes with that as well. Out of, out of look at this next verse, Proverbs sixteen seven. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to make peace with him. Now, now, why would the Lord take pleasure with you? When, when does the Lord take pleasure with you? Well, the Lord takes pleasure with you when life's not about you. The Lord never takes pleasure with you when life's about you. When, when, when life's about him, the Lord takes pleasure with you, and he, even your enemies will be at peace with you. All right, I got six more questions. Here's a test for this one. Put your papers down. Don't look at anybody. Don't breathe. Don't blink. Eyes straight ahead. Here we go. Number one, do family and friends describe you as nosy? Now, don't look around the room at your family and friends right now and go, hey, she, he. No, don't do that. Number two, do you initiate correction without an invitation? Nobody's invited you to make a correction. But you've just decided that you're going to make a correction without an invitation. Let me give you an example of this. I'm asked this once a month. My dad's 90, let's say, and he's about to die, and he's not a believer, and he's in the hospital. So, preacher, I, I'm just going to go, and I'm just going to kind of like show up and throw up on him and tell him the gospel, and hell is hot, and just going to try to get a deathbed you know, conversion right then and there. And, and, and what do you think, preacher? Well, I understand your pain. I understand your concern. Because everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere, and this is a big deal. However, I tell people to ask for permission. I would suggest you ask your dad for permission. Dad, there's something very important I'd like to talk to you about. I'd like to talk to you about my faith and about your faith, and can we have that discussion? And if he says no, then the door is shut. But when he says yes then he's more prone and open to the gospel than any other time in his life. Now, I I know this breaks down with children. I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about adults. And so do you, on a regular basis, initiate correction? I'm going to correct you. I'm going to correct your theology. I'm going to correct your ethics. I'm going to correct your morality. I'm going to get involved in your life. I'm going to correct you without an invitation. Okay, number three. Do you believe that you know more about the situation than the person who's in it? I mean, mean, think about that. I mean, sometimes you might, because the person might have a blind spot, but most of the time, the person who's in the situation, see, you you and I know about this much of a whole situation, don't we? Number four, do you spend more time thinking about other people's problems than your own? And, and, And what this question is referring to is, is how's God wired you? How does God want you to leverage the gifts that he's given to you? How, you spend more time thinking about what are my opportunities to impact people than how other people aren't. See, see as a preacher, I'm not worrying about other preachers. I'm worried about myself. How, how can I get better? How can I do this better? How can the Lord use me at such a time as this? You see what I'm saying? This is about you focusing on your gifts and your abilities to leverage the kingdom of God. Number five, social media called Facebooking. Facebook. And so what happens here? I mean, can you imagine how people get in each other's business in Facebook? Well, you can't imagine it because you're in it. You are. Now, I'm about to, to correct where I've not been invited. But people spend a whole lot of time, in, who cares what you had for breakfast? But, but and, and then people begin to correct each other on, are you kidding? And you've heard me say this before, I, I really suggest you get your face out of Facebook. And I suggest you spend at least as much time in the Word of God as you do in Facebook. If you did, your life would be forever different. Okay, I'm meddling, number six. Do you spend time spying through the windows at your neighbor? Anybody in the room have neighbors that you know are spying on you You just get a little freaked out about the whole thing? You know, the neighbor calls you and says, you know, I really like your pink shirt and you haven't gone out of the house yet. How do you know my shirt's pink? Well, I just saw you in the kitchen there. How'd you like your scrambled eggs and your toast? Sure could have used some of your sausage, you know. So I, I don't know about you, but I don't have time to worry about everybody else. Do you? There's enough opportunities in front of us that, that God, God has placed. Number three is called work with your hands. Now, what does he mean by this? Well, let me show you just a couple of verses out of this with work with your hands too. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's a great one out of Colossians. Titus has this one. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Now, the context here is the Thessalonians quit work, and they quit school. And what happened is they lacked ambition. In fact, Second Thessalonians tells us, Paul says, if you do not go to work, you do not get to eat. And the context is they were so sure that Jesus was going to come any hour that they just checked out of life. They quit work, they quit their jobs, they quit school, they quit. So they just checked out of life. And Paul's saying, "No, no, 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 no! That's not what we do. We we go to work. We get involved. We, we, Jesus is coming again, but we still we're engaged in life." And so he says, "Make it your ambition then to basically live." you know, with your hands and and to to mind your own business and 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 to live a quiet life. Now the greatest example in this whole in the whole Bible on this is a woman named Ruth. And I encourage you this week to go back and read the four chapters of the book of Ruth. Ruth did all three of these really, really well. Ruth Gosh, she lived a quiet life. She minded her own business, and she worked with her hands. Now, let me tell you why. Give me, give me three minutes. Let me tell you why that's such an incredible story. Because Ruth was a Moabite. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, the Moabite people came from Lot. And Lot had two daughters, and the two daughters thought it was the end of the world. And so both daughters got their dad stone drunk, had sex with dad, Both daughters got pregnant from dad, and the one daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. And so all these people of Moab, Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth was a part of a people who came out of an ancestral relationship. And so the Moabite people, they were not... One God people. They were multi-God people. They were not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had all kind of gods. One of them, which is when the firstborn and some of the babies were born, they would throw them into the fire. And it's a terrible story, and then we'll stop with that. But here's the story. The woman named Naomi has a husband, and she has two sons, and there's no food in Israel. There's a drought. There's a famine. And they go all the way over to Moab because there's plenty of water, plenty of rain, plenty of grain in Moab, and they go to Moab, and they're there, and Naomi loses her husband. These two daughter-in-laws become widows because Naomi's two sons die, and now all of a sudden, you've got three widows, two young and one, one a little bit older. And so Naomi hears there's, there's food back in Jerusalem, so she's going to come all the way back to Jerusalem. And, and she tells the daughters-in-laws to stay back, go back to your gods, go back to your people. And basically, Ruth says, no way. I have seen something in you, Naomi. I have seen your God. And this is when she makes this declaration. She says, no, 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 no. Your people are going to become my people. And your God is going to become my God. And your land is going to become my land. And so Ruth has this amazing faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because she sees this in a woman named Naomi. And then when Ruth comes over to to Jerusalem, she has to go to work. They don't have skills, they don't have jobs, they don't have land, they don't have money. And so all of a sudden, well, they do have some land, but all of a sudden she goes to work. And, and again, we don't quite get this, but she becomes a gleaner. And the gleaners would go through a field after the people had already picked all the, the grain or, or whatever. So let me give you an example of this. This is not what happened, but this is a great example that will make sense. Let's, pick straw, let's talk about strawberries. Let's say that we own an acre of strawberries and the strawberries are ripe. And so we'd send the workers through one time and the workers would one time go through and pick all the strawberries. The Jews had a law that they could not go back through the fields a second time, but whatever was left over, in their case grain, but in my analogy, strawberries. So the strawberries that are left over are now for the gleaners. The poor people got to go through and glean again in this story, the green strawberries, the strawberries that fell on the ground, the strawberries that ripe that ripened later. And so Ruth is a gleaner, and she's going through the fields getting the grain that had been left over. And Boaz, who owned the fields, was so impressed with Ruth because she lived a quiet life. She minded her own business, and she worked with her hands. And, and it's an incredible story. Ruth then, you know, gets married to Boaz and Ruth, a Moabite. look at this she becomes the great grand grandparent look at this next slide. This Moabite, who was an ancestral people, she then becomes the great grandparent of King David, and Ruth and Boaz are in the lineage of the messiah jesus christ now what 's the point of that? The point is. No matter how far away from God you have been, you make it your ambition to lean in with God, and God is flat going to put his hand on you and change your life forever. That's what he did, and that's what he does. That's what he's willing to do today. So the question, the question is, where do I go from here and why? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 12 tells us why we want to do this. You see, why do we want to live a quiet life? Why do we want to mind our own business? Why do we want to work with our hands? It's so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. You see, that's when a church is in alignment. When you're at school and you win the respect of the students who are not Christians. When you go to work this week, and you're working in a department, an office, co- whatever you're doing. And all of a sudden, the, the men and women around you realize you have some values. You, you're, you're different. You see, when, when you begin to, to win the respect of outsiders by your daily life, the church begins to grow and hearts begin to change and lives begin to become transformed. I, I want to tell you a little bit about... One of our departments here at church and how we've got a couple of cool things. And I can brag about this because I have nothing to do with this. I have nothing to do with this. But we have a great reputation for paying our bills as a church. We have a department that as soon as we get our bills in, we don't wait 90 days. We don't wait 120 days. We have a great reputation with our vendors. The Harborside Christian Church pays her bills quickly and on time. Do you know what that says to the world? When so many churches don't pay their bills and so many churches are 120 to 180 days late paying their bills. Do you know what that says when our men and women in that department get a bill, turn it around, and pay for it? It makes an impression that we win the respect of those people who are outsiders. i tell you something else that's really cool. I have nothing to do with this either, so I can brag about this also. We don't go to the city of Safety Harbor and ask for forgiveness. We ask for permission. So the fire pit that you see out here in our property, we actually asked the fire marshal. We said, hey, we want to put the fire pit over here. And he said, that's not a good idea. We said, okay, where do you want us to put it? He said, put it. And so we put it where it is today. We didn't ask for forgiveness. Oops. Sorry. Guess we should ask you first. That, that, that doesn't work. When you do the right things in the right way, it makes an impression on everybody in the community—Christians and non-Christians. And so, what if we all learned to really lead a quiet life and love people and honor people? We minded our business and used the skills and gifts that we have. And oh my goodness! And we just all work with the work with our hands work in the areas that God's gifted us? What what, what if a church becomes aligned and pulled together like that? You know, the synergism of all that that makes a difference is just enormously powerful. And maybe, maybe you haven't had that kind of a church experience. Maybe your church experience has been awful and everybody's been out for themselves in politics. We don't have politics. We don't have it. We don't have any of that. We're, our goal is to exalt Jesus Christ. We have a little bit of time and a little bit of money to leverage a little bit of influence for the kingdom of God. That's all we have. So why wouldn't we do everything we possibly can to live not for ourselves? We're all going to die. And we're all going to face eternity somewhere. So why wouldn't we make it our ambition? got one shot at this we got one shot at this to do this right why wouldn't we do it right and to do it really really well so how will your story read how will it read she was selfish he was greedy she pretty much lived every day for herself He pretty much took care of himself and didn't care about... How will your story read? You're writing your story. I'm writing my story. I'm not worried about other pastors. I'm worried about me. How will your story end? Well, I told you we went to Israel. Did I mention that? Did I mention we went to Israel? Let me tell you about that. So while we're on the trip, I really haven't told you about Israel. I just told you pieces about it. But while we were there, there were two tour buses, and there's about 80 of us. There's 40 on our bus and 40 on the other bus. And the other bus and, and ours was at a location, and I, I, I liked this guy, and he's—I I could tell he and I were probably going to be friends. And so we're sitting there while our wives were shopping, you know, and and um, his name is Dean, and his name is actually Dean Curry and he's a surgeon and I I didn't know that and he's a surgeon and so I started asking him all kind of questions about you know what does he do and how does he he do surgery it was fascinating for me to spend some time with him and and I said they live in Jackson, Tennessee we lived in Memphis they live about an hour outside of where we were for 16 years He lives in Jackson, Tennessee and his wife and him are very involved in the community and they've got some cool things going on in the community so so hold on to that story for just a minute because they were telling me about like different ways they were serving in the community well then then a week later a friend of mine is an OBGYN and he was telling me about his sister and husband who started a cafe in Jackson, Tennessee come to find out the guy that started the cafe he's a cardiologist the cardiologist and his wife are named Jim and Amy and Jim and Amy know the surgeon and his wife and they all work together at this cafe what a small world amazing story And so here's what I think is so cool about the cafe. Let me show you a picture of of it. That's that's Amy. This is a cafe. Just, Just leave that up here for a second. This cafe is pay what you can. And if you can't pay, then you work an hour. If you can't buy lunch, you wash dishes. If you can't buy lunch... You go work. In the left there is just a small example. They have a garden. They do a lot of their own vegetables, a lot of their own fruit. They have a lot of their own, you know, sage and all that kind of stuff going on. But it's the only cafe that you'll see like a cardiologist and a homeless man at the table, a venture capitalist and a person who can't even buy their lunch. And They serve 130 people a day. Look at the menu. And the menu often comes from different things that, that happens, like from their garden or for what, what they have available. But, but here's the whole point. Jim and Amy Crenshaw, J- Jim's a cardiologist. They're not doing this for the money. They're doing this because it's an opportunity to, to use their hands. It's an opportunity to mind their business, meaning it's It's the opportunity in front of them. And they have the opportunity, my goodness. They have an opportunity to make such a difference in the lives of people. They're leading a quiet life. It's not about them. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that it's not about you. I want you to get that. I really want you to get that. You're going to die. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. And and I want you to realize that this is our shot to impact Safety Harbor, Pinellas County, Pasco County, Bel Air, State of Florida, the world. This This is our opportunity to become aligned with the scriptures and the purposes that God, how will your story read? Everybody has ambition. Where will the focus of your ambition, where where will it be? Well, I want to encourage you to, first of all, give your life to Christ. That's always step one. Let's stand. Let's have our prayer partners come down front. Step one is always to, if you're not a Christian, I got to wrestle with whether or not I want to surrender. I've got to wrestle with whether or not I'm going to give my life to Christ. I've got to wrestle with whether or not I'm going to live for me or I'm going to live for thee. Everybody has, everybody has to struggle with that. I want to encourage you to be baptized. October 26th is our last beach bab- official public beach baptism this year at Honeyman Island Beach. Just a couple weeks from now, we're going to go back to Honeyman Island Beach and baptize a whole bunch. If you've never been baptized by immersion, go to Connect Desk and sign up and identify with the greatest event in all of history, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some special prayer that you need today. Maybe the family's out of alignment, and you need prayer. Maybe, maybe this whole sermon series has just messed with you, and you're trying to figure out, how do I align myself with my Heavenly Father? Again, come down, and let, let, let my friends just pray for you and pray over you today okay? All right. We love you. We honor you, Jesus. We worship you today. Get us on your page. Get us where we need to be. Let us be aligned with your scriptures and with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.